0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit So The title of our Bible study tonight is The Road Home. Uh, I, I, from time to time, spend time driving from San Diego to Phoenix, where my daughter lives, and I thoroughly enjoy the ride. and. We've been making that trip so often that I know all the landmarks and and it's uh, few and far between that there's anything that we, you know, we'll see that there's been some change. Uh, As uh, faith so graciously read for us, verse 6 through 22 of of Ruth chapter 1, our takeaway is the cross, the cross is our source of strength in times of trouble. And and tonight, I think that as we gather, after the Bible study, there'll be an opportunity during time of worship to do two things, and that is to visit the cross this evening. You, individually, you personally, can visit the cross through the elements, through the bread and the juice, we visit the cross, and something happens to us when we do so, something takes place when we, by faith, take the elements, that which is representative of Christ's body, that which is representative, symbolic in my theo- theology, symbolic to be sure. But there's something that happens to me when I remember what Jesus has done on my behalf and that, that the result of the cross is still affects me uh, uh, to this day personally. The cross is our source of strength, in times of trouble, this is important to know. Maybe for you, as you sit here tonight or you watch us online, I want to greet you, those of you that might be watching this online or as it's recorded to see it later. I want to speak to you. This idea, this concept of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection being a source of strength to us in our time of trouble. That may be something that is pertinent to you tonight. It may be something that you can hold on to tonight. Or Maybe it's not for tonight. Maybe it's for down the road. Maybe it's for some point in time in the future. Or maybe it's for a friend. Or maybe it's for a friend. In 1986, my father passed away after six months of, of battling cancer. I didn't know really what to do with the whole situation. I was in my 20s and... And, and I remember that he called me to his house when he received the diagnosis and and I didn't know much about cancer I didn't understand the terminology or I remember going with him to the doctor actually at Tri-City Hospital and them running tests and the consultation was with me my mother and my dad and the doctor spoke to us and yet in generalizations nothing really specific I'm kind of a blue-collar guy or a no-collar guy. And so I noticed that the doctor disappeared, a young doctor. And he was kind and he was gentle. And I followed him into a room. I think I surprised him. And he turned around and I said, what does this mean? I don't understand. And, and, And he took off his glasses and he looked at me and he said, the chances of your father surviving are not good. You need to make sure that he gets his house in order. I would tell you I was the, my, my family's oldest son, but I am the only son. In a Hispanic home, this is an important position. I spoke to my mom and to my sisters. I have three sisters. And I'm not a man of eloquence, but I sat them down and I said, Dad's not going to make it. And if you know anything about cancer, especially back in the 80s, once treatment began, we began to see some improvement. And it was a bit of an emotional roller coaster. I would imagine that some of you have been on that ride yourselves. He and I, for those six months, we had a a difficult relationship through my adolescence, but he and I we would have those meetings where he would call me in. And I likened him to an AA meeting because he would be very transparent. And he would ask me questions. And I was like in my mid-twenties. And he began to ask me about heaven. And he began to ask me about things like the forgiveness of sins. Things that are theoretical in schools of theology but when you're ready to step into the next life are critical eventually he died and they came to me again to organize the memorial service I didn't know what to do as a matter of fact I didn't know what to do so much so that when I meet with families now I feel like I have a little better insight as to what it's like to be on their side and so at Eternal Hills and Oceanside, we, I was raised in Vista. We made, laid my father to rest. He had been in the Marine Corps. He had been in the Army. He had been in the Army Air Corps. That's what brought him from San Antonio, Texas, to California, where he met my mother. And I remember being there for my mom and for my sisters. But when military honors was presented when the flag of the United States of America was presented to my mom, I lost it. And to this day, you need to know that to this day, whether I'm watching a movie or officiating a memorial service, and the military honors are given to a veteran who has passed away, I shake inside. Deep down inside, I shake, and I fight back tears, and I experience a level of pain and loss, listen, that I never want to go away. It reminds me of him. It reminds me of a loss. But it reminds me that my God became a man and died on the cross for my sins, and that one day, listen, and that one day, even though I feel pain today and in the moment, one day I will hear God say, there is no more death. And that gets me through. And that will get you through. The cross is our source of strength in times of trouble. Tonight we join Naomi on the road to Bethlehem. She's not going to stay in Moab. Moab to her represents three Burial plots, to her it represents a season of loss. She's decided to go home. She's determined in her mind and her heart that she's going home. And you and I are on a road home. We're going home. Moab is a reminder of devastating loss. She gathers her belongings uh, whatever she has, she she pulls them together. You've watched people leave California. You've watched them, you know, get the U-Haul and tell the stories of of how many U-Hauls are leaving, and 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 maybe you've been the recipients of some of their treasures. Uh, ah, treasures, I don't know, but you know what I'm saying, or. Or maybe you've helped them you know, visit the local thrift shop, and, and that makes us all feel good. But you've, and then you've said goodbye. Maybe there's been a fiesta, and carne asada, and pollo asada. I mean, you know, it's maybe you've really done it right as you've sent them off. And as they're driving away, you go, you, I hope you enjoy that Mexican food, because where you're going is Taco Bell, homeboy. You're not going to get anything like this. Yeah, you leave us here with the liberal government, but we're going to keep the Mexican food here. She gathers her belongings. She says her goodbyes, listen, and she releases her daughters-in-law. She lets them go. She releases them from their obligation to be with her. Now listen, you can't miss this. The reason she sends Orpah and Ruth home is because she wants them to have a family. My friends, I don't know what your perception of love is. I don't know when you hear the word, what you think of. And I'm not going to mess with it. I'm not going to put this brown index finger in your Kellogg's cornflakes tonight. But listen, this is love. This is what love really looks like. What Naomi is doing for her daughter's-in-law. In In Naomi, we catch a glimpse of God's sacrificial love. She's willing to give up a level of security so that others might have hope. She's willing to give up companionship and to be alone so that her daughters-in-law might have hope. I want you to think about this. When we we live in the shadow of loss, uh, again, the death of a loved one, a, a troubling diagnosis, the end of a relationship, all of this represents great pain. Loss represents pain. There's no way around it. It's like when I hear the taps being played, when, I see, when I, I see the Marines or the, the soldiers or the sailors, when I see them at attention, when I watch them taking the flag and carefully folding it, when I watch one of them come to the widow and get down on his knees and say, on behalf of the President of the United States, we thank you for your faithful service. I'm shaken inside by the loss, but the cross tells me that that loss has an end and that I will one day experience wholeness. Let me be clear, maybe not in this lifetime, but certainly in eternity. Strength is found in looking to God's love at, it is realized at Jesus' cross His death and resurrection remind us in no uncertain terms that God has paid the greatest price for our redemption and that the story will not be over in this lifetime. Please know as you sit here tonight, I am in no way minimizing your pain. I am in no way saying that what you're experiencing isn't real, but I want to remind you that Revelation 21 tells us there's a day coming where God will wipe away our tears. He will heal our hearts and we will grieve and mourn no more. Let me read to you from Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse 31. What then, Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, listen to these words, if God is for us, what things? The pain and suffering of this world. If God is for us, Then who can be against us? He he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The all things will be the completion of our redemption. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. I want you to think about this. There is no enemy. There is no enemy in the visible or the invisible kingdoms around us, there is no circumstance our God will not overcome. He, will, he has and he will overcome all of our enemies. If not in this life, then in eternity. We are a people who receive hope in the present by trusting that God will heal all of our hurts. God will heal all of our hurts. One more thing before I move on. And in the pain of today, he he feels our pain. He experiences our pain. Moab is hard. Moab is painful. It's disorienting. However, when we remember that God's love met our greatest need in Jesus, we can endure our Moab. Jerry Bridges said, If we want proof of God's love for us, then we must look first at the cross where God offered up his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary is the one objective, absolute, irrefutable irrefutable proof for God's love for us. And Danny, why is this important? Because when we're hurting, nobody here, church down the street, because when we're hurting, we can question God's goodness. We, can, we are vulnerable to question God's character. And the cross is like a baseball player on first base, watching the pitcher and tagging base. In verses six through 14, the road home is marked with tears. This is a book that is filled with emotion I don't cry. I-, I cry sometimes in movies like it's dark and there's no one around and the dog comes home. I cry sometimes, but listen. I-, I-, I cry when the couple comes together, you know that they're going their own way, she's going to the airport, he's driving, and all of a sudden, you know, Hallmark, all of a sudden, it- they're all the same. They're all the same, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that, right? But. And and, and she gets to the airport and the taxi driver speaks to her in tongues and she turns around and she runs back and he's driving down the road and he sees a billboard for Denny's and he turns around and he drives back and they're running down the street and it's snowing (laughs) and they greet each other and they embrace each other (laughs) as if you didn't know. You're, she's going away. She's going away. They'll never see each other. He's driving away. He's driving away. They'll never. You knew from the beginning. You knew before they even came on the TV that they were going to get together. Come on. Tell me. Didn't you? But isn't there something inside of us? I was talking to one of the pastors today. This is terrible. What I'm about to tell you is terrible. You said, you see the movie Dog? And I said, yeah. And he said, what do you think? He hadn't seen it yet, and I didn't want to give away the ending. And He said, what did you think? I go, well, you know, movies, uh, the vernacular, but of course as a military soldier, so I guess that comes, it's like baseball, you know, you're like spitting and scratching and bad words. I mean, but I go, but it's a story of redemption. And he's like looking at me, he goes, yeah, you're teaching Ruth, so everything's a story of redemption, right? <laughs> And what I wanted to tell him, but I didn't, is I go that at the end of the story, the soldier redeems the dog. I go, but at the end of the story, the dog saved the soldier. And I wept. You know, that shaking inside of a Mexican man, just like, you know, like, don't cry. Don't let him see you cry. And then one little tear squeezes out. But listen, it's because we were created to appreciate redemption. Last time we said uh, that the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth, is spoken in a feminine voice, very unusual for the scriptures, very unusual for this time and for this culture. I want you to see Christianity, even Judaism, I want you to see it as, as a faith in a God who elevates women. I, I want you to see it because, and I'll talk about this in a minute, I want you to see it because You and I need to see that God lifts us up. He doesn't push us down. It's told from a woman's perspective. Verse 6 represents a transition allowing Naomi to to kind of move with all that is here to center stage. She, she, She steps in, you know, Limelech is gone. Her sons are gone. And God draws her to center stage. To be the focal point, the the law, Mosaic Law's protection and provision for widows, you need to understand it didn't reach to Moab. Hmm. But God's love does. I don't know where you're at, but God's love reaches to you. I don't know what you're going through tonight, but God's love reaches to you. Let me read from Psalm 68 Verse 5, where it says of God that he's the father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation, that he is the protector of widows. Naomi's feet were on Moab's soil. Three graves spoke of her great loss, but every time she gazed westward, she would see the land of promise. And you and I, by faith, see the land of promise. Your feet are in this world. Your heart is breaking over what you see going all around you. But by faith, like Stephen on the day that his life would be required of him, looked up into the heavens and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, my friends, the cross. Oh, the cross. Verse 6 again says that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. It's important to remember that famines have an expiration date. If you were in my home, you would know that I look at the expiration date on everything every day. My, my wife will tell you, he's the one who goes to the refrigerator, and as he opens it up, if there's yogurt, he looks at the expiration date. If he opens it, you know, the cute little containers, I put a little cinnamon. I like vanilla bean yogurt. It's the best. A little bit of cinnamon, stir that baby up, and then she goes, why? I go, I want to see if it's bad. It's yogurt. <laughs> Certainly it's bad. Famines have expiration date. They have a beginning and an end. Remember with me me that a season of scarcity had caused Elimelech to leave home for Moab. He heard that there was enough, maybe even plenty in another country, in another place. His plan was to stay until the famine was over, then to return home. But the story didn't play out the way he expected because, you see, tragedy struck. Moab promised life, but it delivered death. And at the passing of her husband, she loses, even in a foreign land, she loses provision and protection. Oh, but it's more than that. She goes into her home, she opens her closet. The dresses, the clothing that are bright and colorful she pulls down, she folds she places into a basket. The clothing that she would wear for special occasions she puts away. She gathers her husband's clothing for sons couldn't use them she puts them away. And she goes and she purchases clothing that is dark and drab. And in a moment, her identity is changed. She's no longer the wife of a she is a widow. You don't need to know her name. You don't need to know where she lives. When you see her on the street, in your mind you know she is alone. And then tragedy 10 years later. Again, tragedy strikes when both of her sons, their lives are taken. We don't know the circumstances. And again, the wound that experienced, that wound is opened again when tears flow. And now not only does she wear the garment of a widow, her daughters-in-law, those whom she loves, too, follow her example In a society controlled by men, we said it was patriarchal. She is especially vulnerable. As a foreigner in Moab, she has no legal rights. However, God's provision is seen when in the fields, as she's working, she hears from somebody that the Lord has visited his people. And something happens within her. I've been a Christian since 1978. I've been a Christian since I was 22 years old. Do you know what? When I hear the gospel presented, I am encouraged and say, but Danny, you're forgiven of your sins. Yes, I am. But my God loved me so much that he would become a man and enter into my world and die for me. And it reminds me again and again of his great love for me and his great love for you. In the fields of Moab, she hears that God has visited his people. Israel's recovery is in full swing. Think about this before we move on. In seasons of loss, in days of trauma, it is important to think, to ponder, to meditate on the good news of the gospel. It, it, it might not be what you want to be, want to do. It might not be logical to you, but when you think about the gospel, when you consider, when you ponder, when you apply it to your life, you will experience God's strength and God's power. The journey, as best we could tell, depending on where they were at exactly, on Moab would take about three. Three days. It was about 70 miles. Verse 8, Naomi speaks for the first time where she speaks to her daughters in law and she says, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead. That would be her sons, Malon and Kilion. Not only her sons, and with me. And, And so, Naomi, in her pain and in her suffering, she hears that God is blessed and she's moving towards Bethlehem and she calls her daughters to her and it's a picture that's in the Old Testament so many times where a patriarch will put his hands on his children, on his sons, and he will speak blessing, anointed prophetic blessing into their lives. It's as though God speaks to him what their character is like as he names them or renames them. And she speaks to them, Orpah and to to Ruth, blessing. I, I, I can't tell you how many people I meet with that I feel like, Man, if somebody would have blessed you, if you could see that God himself wants to bless you, that God himself wants to look, you think about Jesus. I know I'm jumping around here, but you think about Jesus and he's in the synagogue and people are bringing their children and he's holding small children and he's putting his hand on them and it says that he's blessing them. He's speaking life into them. He's, he, he, he's blessing them with the blessing of a, of a rabbi, uh, of a teacher, but he's also the God of the universe. is looking into their eyes and he's blessing them. And the disciples, oh, they blew it. makes me feel so good. But they blew it because as the line is forming, they're, they're like, no, 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 he doesn't have time for this. He, and the word that it uses in the gospel, it says that he became indignant. And he says to his disciples, knowing that we don't get it very well, he said, for such is the kingdom of heaven. For such is the kingdom of heaven. And so she speaks blessing on Orpah and Ruth. And in so many words, my words, looking at the literal literal language, but my words are, She is saying, I am leaving, but may the God of Israel remain here with you, and may he meet all your needs. I can't help you. I can't provide for you. As we'll see, I can't provide sons for you. I can't give you a future, but may the God of Israel remain here with you in my absence. This love is profound. You see, of the three women, no one bailed when times got tough. You, you must see this. The level of commitment that these three women have for each other opens the door to God's blessing. In Naomi's mind, she is literally bankrupt. In the girl's mind, staying with her men, possibly being lifelong widows. And yet, God blesses covenant loyalty, selfless commitment in the shadow of great loss. It's as though that there is a secret for us here that as you and I share, show covenant loyalty to one another, that when we give to each other sacrificially, we are opening the door to God's blessing in our lives. When I take my eyes and I put it on somebody else, put them on somebody else and I am moved with God's generosity to bless them, I open the door to God's blessing in my life. Maybe even if it's only that in generosity I am pushing back on my propensity to be materialistic and greedy. Maybe the blessing In having an open hand, a hand that you would place upon another and speak into somebody's life. Danny, what do you mean? And this isn't flattery. But to come to somebody and say, I'm blessed by the way you show kindness to other people, by the way you show hospitality to other people, by the way that you give to other people, by the way that you listen to other people. Hmm, I got to move on. In the girls' minds, it is Orpah and Ruth. They will experience God's blessing as one stays and one leads. Verse 9, the Lord grant that you may find rest. The idea of rest is to live securely, each of you in the house of her husband. The concept of finding rest means to settle down. You remember when David brought the Ark of the Covenant, when he brought it into Jerusalem, when he, when, when he, when he purchased the, the threshing floor, and it came and it settled down. The, the terminology, the idea within the Hebrew mind is that it found rest. Remember when the children of Israel, after 40 years of wandering through the wilderness, when they came into the land, they found rest. So Naomi's desire for her, sister, for her daughters-in-law is that they would find rest in a family. Jesus said, come to me, all who will labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In verses 12 and 13, Naomi talks about being herself, being too old to remarry and to have children, specifically sons, sons that the girls would themselves marry. We'll get into more of this in the future, but the law in Deuteronomy 25 provided an arrangement where if a man died before he had children, his brother was to marry his brother's widow. A little strange to us, but the goal or the idea was to provide a son who would carry on the deceased man's name. This is oftentimes referred to as the marriage. Verse 13, and we see Naomi's perspective of herself. We're almost done, hold on. The hand of the Lord has gone gone out against me. With the girls refusing to go home, refusing to separate themselves from Naomi, she says, you know, God's hand is against me. The terminology here, the, 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 the idea here is that she believed that God himself was not only against her, but the terminology is descriptive of God going to war against his enemies. This is how she feels. This is how we can feel, potentially. But but you and I, looking from 30, 35,000 feet, I don't know why I picked that elevation, but looking from such a high distance, we see God leading her to blessing. Let me say that again. In her pain and in her suffering, she feels like God has turned his back on her, that he's even aggressively against her, but in reality, he's leading her into his blessing. Time, my friends, leaving Moab takes time. Rick Warren said, don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. Verse 14, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So then Orpah can take no more and she, she draws near to Naomi and she reaches over and she embraces her. And as she embraces her, and this is so common in the East, actually even in Central America and South America. It's so common in other cultures, people are kissing each other all the time, it's terrible. But nevertheless, she, she, she draws near to her, she knows she will see her never again. She embraces her and she kisses her and she leaves. The writer provides contrast for emphasis when we read, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth's love for her mother-in-law caused her to stick to her. Literally, Naomi could not move without Ruth moving with her. Now, hear this. With quiet determination, Ruth determined to live the balance of her days caring for Naomi. She would not be separated from her. Just a couple of thoughts, and then we'll move on. Faith may or may not accompany, be accompanied with emotion. Let me say that again. Within the context of the church or Christianity or your growth groups or your conversation with other Christians, faith, trusting in Jesus, may or may not be accompanied with emotion. For some, faith in Christ is more logical, it's more intellectual. I admire people who who, who have this capability of understanding great philosophy and theology. But for others, faith is an unseen current of feelings. Martin Lloyd-Jones coined this term for one of his books when he called it, Joy Unspeakable, An Overflowing of the Soul. Regardless of the response, you will find a disciple, in a disciple, a commitment that, with or without tears, clings to Christ, refuses to let go. Verses 15 through 17, the road home is marked by faith. It is at this point that Ruth speaks. Her words are few, eloquent, and weighty. In essence, she's saying, Let me read to you, verse 16. Do not urge or persuade me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you live, I will live. Your people shall be my people. That is, the people of Israel will be my people. And your God, the God of Israel, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And in life or death, I will be with you. And then she swears an oath. Ruth says, I am am permanently turning my back on the gods of Israel and there were many and on my people and on my family. Only death will cause me to no longer be by your side. Only death will cause me to no longer care for you. Only death will ever allow you to be alone. I will go with you. Verse 16. This, This poetry... This beauty of this poetry, where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, my people, your God, my God. Here faith speaks, tears fall and God moves. One wonders where such words come from. Where where does this come from? She's a Moabite. She's She's a foreigner. She's on the wrong team. She wears the wrong jersey. She has a, 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 a Raiders tattoo. She doesn't care for Mexican food. It's all downhill. She's raised in the wrong neighborhood, educated in the wrong schools, praying to the wrong gods all of her life. How does this happen? How does someone like Ruth... Make such a dramatic change in her life. I believe she saw in Elimelech. I believe she saw in her brother-in-law and in her husband. I believe that she saw in Naomi something that she knew she didn't have. And, And as you go through this world, be easy on those who don't know Jesus because they're watching you. When they say the things they say, remember they don't have the hope that you have when they do the things they do remember they don't have the compass of the Holy Spirit inside of them the way you do but ultimately I propose to you this evening that what you have in verse 16 is God moving this is God this is how he works His spirit draws broken people to himself. He sees the limp, the withered hand, the emaciated soul. He heals, he gives life, he sheds his blood. John the baptizer said in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what he does. This is what he's about. Our God is about saving, about rescuing, about redeeming the lost. This is his business. This is his heart. You want to know what God is like? He's good and he cares about people like Ruth, about people like me, about people like you. Our God sees the fractured heart. He knows those who have no more tears for the grief that strangles their souls. He sees the immigrant, the refugee, the homeless. He sees and he comes to save. And as we stare here tonight, you say, but Danny, how does he see and how does he say? I'm gl- save? How do you, I'm glad you asked. We will deal with this more next week. But it's important for you to know that as we are wrapping up here tonight, our God puts a premium on human life. And this value for life is embedded in our souls. You and I see people as being created in his image. And we are moved into action by injustice because we love God. I cannot say the Bible says that I love God. I cannot proclaim to you or purport to you that Danny Ramos loves God and not love my neighbor. It is impossible. It is completely impossible. Listen, in the famines of life, you and I are the ones who take care of people. You and I are ones that are moved to take care of the widow, the orphan. Listen, and the stranger in the land. You and I are the ones to step up to the plate because we love God. We don't hoard toilet paper. Uh Uh-huh. I figured enough time went by to say that. Ruth, in verse 17, trumps Naomi's command to go home by swearing an oath. May the Lord do so to me and even more. Also, if anything but death parts me and you, She doesn't use the typical word or title for common title for God here, Elohim. Instead, she speaks out loud. And I want you to hear, she speaks out loud the covenant, even the personal name, Yahweh. Ruth, while she's still in the land of Moab, still in the land of other gods, foreign gods, pagan deities, she speaks the name of Yahweh and aligns herself with the God of Israel. If Naomi and she did felt that God was her adversary, Ruth sees him as her refuge. Psalm 91 verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, I will say of, the Yah- of, of Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So as Ruth moves on down the road, we're allowed to kind of to, to think to ourselves as we're reading through the book that Like, did they talk? Was there a conversation? Did the tears and the emotions subside? What did did Naomi feel like as she was retracing steps? that Last time she made this trip, she was with her husband. Last time she made this trip, she was with her sons. And and what was it like for for Ruth to see the change of the, you know, going down the Jordan Valley across the Jordan and up towards Jerusalem? What was it like for her? To see that the people, that maybe their skin color was a little different. Maybe their accent was a little different. And she's no longer where she's comfortable. She's no longer where there's familiarity. What was it like for them, we're not told. But there is in the journey a reversal of roles as Ruth leaves Moab and heads to Bethlehem. Uncertainty marks her future. Ruth knew no one. Likely that because of the Moabite-Israelite historic, history of conflict, that she experienced some level of prejudice. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. And some of you are sitting here tonight, and you don't know. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what next week holds. You don't know what next month holds. But Ruth reminds us that you serve a God who does. That you serve a God who does. Lastly, verses 18 through 21, the road home is marked by wonder. Go ahead and read this section out where it says, And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town, the entire town, was stirred because of them at the sighting. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, or Bitter. For the Almighty, which is El Shaddai, has dealt very bitterly with me I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty why call me naomi her name that means pleasant why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified or witnessed against me and the almighty shaddai has brought this calamity upon me just a couple thoughts and we'll be done the two women come to the outskirts of Bethlehem. They think there's maybe 200 people that lived there at this time. Remember, it's a tight-knit community. They all know each other. And they see two women walking down the road, which would have been strange because of their vulnerability. Remember, it's the time of the judges. It's a time of anarchy and lawlessness. And the women are obviously, they've been on a long journey, and, 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 and they're... They're a little bit worn from the, and as they make their way towards them, some of the women from the fields begin to look at them and say, "Why? That's that's Naomi. That's." But then they're stopped mid-sentence when they realize where's Elimelech, where's Malon, where's Kilion. Her sudden appearance is upsetting because she's without her family. And although the women call her Naomi, she corrects them and she says, "I am no longer pleasant. I am bitter." If Ruth is loyal, Naomi is honest. In her suffering, she holds God responsible. My friends, this is the human experience laid before us. In John chapter 2, Jesus, enclose you your Bibles. We're going to get ready for worship and to take communion and in John chapter 2, Jesus comes into the temple. He's this, he's this rabbi from Nazareth, from up around the Galilee. We don't have many rabbis that come from that area. We, you know, He hasn't been to our schools, to our seminaries. He, his training is sub- suspect. And there's something about his time of his birth and dad and it just doesn't make sense. And as he comes into the temple, he comes in like he owns it. He, he, he walks in up to the tables that, that have the currency, the various currency that was being exchanged at, a, at quite a profit. And he comes to the tables and he throws them over. And he comes up with a a handmade whip of sorts and he begins to drive the people who are selling animals that would be used for sacrifice out of the temple. And immediately the authorities are angered and they come to him and say, By what authority, by what authority do you do this? Do you have we have God's authority, but whose authority do you have? And then they say, Give us a sign to prove to us that you have authority to do these things. And really, all he did was interrupt the corruption of their their business transactions. And he says in John 2, 19, you want a sign? You want to know by what authority I do this? You want to see a miracle? That's the whole concept behind a sign. And a testing sign was was, was to a miracle. and, And the miracle would somehow prove his identity. But listen to what he says. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign you destroy this temple. At, at, his, at his trial, it's misquoted. He said that he, they said that he would, said he would destroy. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. You destroy this temple. He wasn't speaking of Herod's temple. He was speaking of his physical body. He says, you destroy this temple. You crucify me. You take my life. And in three days... I will raise it up again and as I said at the beginning of this Bible study whenever you and I are on our road from Moab to Bethlehem whenever you and I are gripped by loss or tragedy or difficulty Jesus says I've left you a sign of my love for you they crucified me They shed my blood. They buried me in a tomb. They put Roman legionnaires around the outside. They sealed the tomb. And in three days, I rose from the dead. And because I rose from the dead, your sins are forgiven. And because I rose from the dead, your eternity is sealed. And because I rose from the dead, you can experience life everlasting. My friends, this evening, the cross is our source of strength in times of trouble. This week, I'll give you something to think about. The first word is faith. Remember that your journey means that we're learning to trust in God. Remember that the things that we go through and experience mean that we have an opportunity to learn to trust in God. Not the funnest thing in life, but it is an opportunity. Second thing, change. Remember that you are being transformed through bitter experiences. You are being changed and transformed into the image of Christ Jesus. The faith that's being strengthened will last the change, the character change, the faith that's being purified tonight, today, will last for all of eternity. But remember, famines have expiration dates. The trial will come to an end. One day I will weep no more over the loss of my dad. The cross tells me, Danny, one day, death will be no more. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.marinoththechapel.org for more information.